Welcome to Charting the Course, a podcast from Full Sail Capital. We're a registered investment advisory firm committed to helping clients grow and manage generational wealth. We do this by focusing on integrity, competency, and transparency each and every day. No matter where you find yourself on the investing journey, our hope is that these conversations, stories, and interviews can empower and equip all investors with fresh insight and perspective on the capital markets. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Happy New Year. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season and wish you a great start to 2023. Today, I'm joined by David Stanley and George Colmia as we discuss the life stages of an investor. This is a topic we have addressed in the past, but one that I felt would be great to revisit as we kick off another year in the markets. David and George bring so much wisdom and perspective to this conversation, and I hope it can serve as a timely reminder, no matter the phase you find yourself in. I hope you enjoy. George, David, thank you guys for taking the time. We're going to revisit a topic that we have hit on in the past, but one that I think is always going to be important. We could probably do one every year. And that's on just the idea of there's distinct phases of life that an investor goes through. I label them, just to tee you guys up, I kind of label them as stage one, accumulation, stage two, preservation or preparation, and then stage three is that retirement enjoyment. So with that groundwork in place, where do you guys begin that conversation with clients, with people you've talked to over the years? How does that life stage of investor conversation play out? I think you said it right by saying stages, not ages. I don't think mm-hmm. age has as much to do with just your stage in right. life. Agreed. And we've seen it play out. We know we've lived it. Being the, being the elder member of the full sale team, I've lived all of those. And I've made all those, all the mistakes you can make, I've probably made them. And so what you see is you see one's investment attitudes mature as they mature. Yeah. And that, that it needs that. That's what I've seen. Oh, yeah. And thank you, George, for being the elder here because you make me feel young, even <laughs> though I'm just about your age. So it is true. I tell my kids, and I don't know if you've done this too, George, I've tried to show them all the mistakes I've made. Very transparent. Even though I'm in this industry, I've made every every mistake you could make as a young man versus what I should have done if I could go back and interview or sit down and counsel the 25-year-old David Stanley and sit him down and go, Dave, here's what you need to do, buddy. I wish I could do that. I've tried to do that with my own children. And one of the first things I've really tried to instill in them is there is no such thing as a get-rich-quick scheme. There's a scripture in Proverbs that says, little by little, wealth grows. Mm -hmm. And I believe that. I, I believe that. There are times and there are people, there are instances you can look at and you go, wow, they made that. That was like overnight. Those are rare. It's like, you know, how many people get hit by lightning here? It's that kind of stuff. So really tried to instill with them the things that I didn't have instilled in me and that, hey, go roll your sleeves up and do the hard things, the things that don't always feel good, like denying yourself. Delayed gratification is the number one quality. And George, I'm sure you see it in all of our clients that have made the the millions themselves all have a quality of being able to delay whatever they're going to do from a purchasing standpoint over their life and plan for it instead of necessarily being rash and doing, and doing it through debt. The plan, the, the uh, proper word there, they plan for it. Yeah. And I think that's where most people fail. Most young investors fail. I certainly failed there. I never planned. I think that's something we've seen change in our industry. Thank yes. God it's changed yeah. like that. Yes. I'm, I'm reminded of when I first got into the business in 1983 versus what it's like now almost 40 years later. 
Then you paid, you'll remember this, you paid for the transaction and the advice was free. Mm-hmm. Yep. And as far as advice went, you got what you paid for, right. but you didn't get much. <laughs> you know, and now you pay for the advice because the transactions are free. But now advice has matured. We, we've learned a lot more. Uh, I think we've learned what's important to people. And I think if we can pass that along to our early stage children, grandchildren, yeah. and so on, I think that will only serve them better. Oh, for sure. As we focus on these different phases, and again, if you guys have different labels or things you've used, uh, feel free to to chime in here. But in that first phase, and, and I'll, I'll even say this, we tend to begin working with most of our clients when they're in that second phase. Agreed? I right. Mean, right. Now, we work with a handful of that first phase accumulation, but they're planning or they're paying off debt. They just probably don't have a need for our full service model quite yet. But They're usually related to someone we have that we're managing right, money for. You. Right. right. So in that first phase, though, because I, I think it's super important to still engage with that, with those clients, those investors. What's the hardest part in that phase? I mean, what what do you what have you seen in your careers that's the hardest thing for those? And again, George, we weren't going to put ages on it, but right. I, I think it is that twenty to forty early year stage. old early stage. You're it could be buying your first house into having kids, building your family. What what do you guys think is the hardest part of that phase? Maintaining some patience. I think you have to be patient at that stage because you have so many demands on your money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just got through mentioning them. You've got children, you've got education, you've got a home that's growing. It's hard to do all of that and still create the kind of wealth that you've envisioned for your family to have. So I think you have to have patience. But I'm reminded a long time ago, I was talking to my priest about patience. And I said, you know, I've been really praying hard for patience. He said, oh, no, don't do that. Don't pray for patience. (laughs) I said, well, why not? He'll give it to you. He'll make you wait to get something. So I don't want anyone to pray for it, but I think we need to develop more patience. So true. And discipline that comes from that. I think too few of us as parents, grandparents, et cetera, we were not as transparent as we should be with our kids that are in that phase of life Mm -hmm. about the struggles we had. Mm -hmm. What do we do? We come alongside, oh, well, oh, God, we want them to have a a way nicer house than we had at their stage. So we're going to make up the down payment for that. Or we're going to come in, we may even buy it for them. Right. They never have to feel some of those and many times the stresses that it takes. And I think, I think there's, there's so many lessons and so much wisdom that comes from having to till the land versus just walking into a the weed about to be harvested. There's just something about knowing what it took to get the land to that final product. Yeah. I think we, we don't want our kids to hurt and sometimes it's okay. And in doing so, I think we can be alongside them, coaching them through that, which I certainly didn't have. Yeah. You have someone coaching alongside of it, which will bring them some comfort, but also just lets them know, hey, this is part of it. This is part of the process. Because I think we get them to the finish line a lot quicker than sometimes. Sometimes I just don't think they appreciate the value of a dollar once you get there. Oh, for sure. I think from, from my standpoint, just my generation, this stage has become so much harder because of what you just said, David as far as you get some parents or grandparents that will just step in and help. But I think it's also just this constant comparative society we live in and you've got to keep up. So you're more likely to incur debt or keep the debt than you are to pay it off, live below your means. That just from my viewpoint, that's what I see a lot of, a lot of times, but, but in this phase, there are all the stresses going on. How do you guys have that debt versus save conversation with some of these children of clients or, or, or clients that we work with? Cause we get that question all the time. 
do do I pay off my debt? You're making some good money finally. You're kind of kind of at the end of this stage, if you will. Where do you guys fall in that conversation? It's a difficult question to answer because not everybody's the same. Yeah, so there's, right. there's no one size fits all. And that's a good point. That right. You can't compare your plan, debt plan, savings plan to somebody else. On any of the stuff we've talked about, just because your friend, your best buddy, your next door neighbor does it does not mean you should be doing it. I think on the crypto, on, on the debt <laughs> question, that's right. On the debt question, I personally have liked the comfort of not having debt. Me too. But I've also had friends that said, well, wait a minute, I don't mind having a 3% mortgage or a 4% mortgage if I earn more than that. Yeah. And they're right. If you out earn the 4%, yeah, they'll be better off than what I'll be. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. Yeah. I sleep just really well at night. Yep. And I think that being out of debt helps. You know, George, I, I, I'm with you. I think it, it took our family a little longer to get out of debt than it probably did you. Uh, we're in our early 50s when we got out of debt. I was about to say. Oh, okay. And... Man, just the, I don't care what argument someone could have given me of how it would make sense to still keep a, a mortgage or to have any measure of debt. There's just something about the freedom of, of what comes and really how simple life gets when you don't have debt. Life is really complicated when you got a lot of debt. It is. A lot of stress comes in, a lot of what ifs run through your mind. Those what ifs kind of fly away when, when you don't have debt. I'm one of these guys that especially I've always told my clients, told my own children, debt is a great thing. Leverage is a great thing if it's used in the hands of an adult. Never, ever borrow money for something that does not have the mm -hmm. ability to appreciate. Mm -hmm. a car, yeah. a car it loses money the second you drive it off the lot. A lot of money. Never borrow money to do that. A house, great. Yeah, sure. Borrow, get a mortgage for that when you're starting out. But never borrow money on anything that depreciates or doesn't have the ability to appreciate. I have a great story about that. 1984, I had just bought a 1984 BMW 528E, borrowed the money. <laughs> and dang, it was a good looking car, striking vehicle, really was. And I go to a family event <laughs> and my uncle, who was a car nut from Clinton, Oklahoma, sees me. He sees that car. He says, oh my gosh, George, what a good looking car. Let me look at that car. So I go over there and he was, you know, he, Open the door. He looks at, oh, my gosh, you must be making a lot of money. I said, oh, uncle. I said, no, I just, I have a friendly banker. He just kind of stopped dead in his tracks. You borrowed money to buy this car? I said, yeah, doesn't everybody? No, we don't borrow money. And from <laughs> then on, I paid that car off. I've not borrowed money to buy a car. You know, he, you're, it's what he, he lives what you, what you said. Mm -hmm. I think, and that that's a problem. We all want everything now. That that impatience that we have, it's, uh, we want that instant gratification. We see our friend have something, we want that. We see our friend making money in crypto, we want to make money in crypto. We, you know, we see that, and, it, and I think that's where people fail. They don't make a plan. And I think whenever you're talking about money, it's what we talk about every day and everyone's situations are different, to really be successful, you've got to make it a priority with your spouse and those important to you. Sit down and make a plan. Yeah. And what is it we're trying to accomplish? Right. That will help you get where you want to go. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute Good. because I want to hit on that. But the, the last thing, as we move from this stage, I think what's so important, what I've tried to encourage some of my friends or people that ask me for some of this advice is go find your, I mean, if maybe it's not your parents. If your grandparents are living, go ask them about this early stage they were in. Guarantee it's going to look a little different than your stage. 
But you want to get some perspective when you go and you ask some of these people that live through it and and they didn't, they had nobody sitting there saying, hey, well, we'll buy you that house or we'll buy you that car. So anyway. But there's one more thing about that because there's a fine line there. We don't want our children to feel entitled and, you know, and so we're going to make their life so easy. They're not going to, they think they can have to do nothing. On the other hand, there are so many different stresses in life that you all must face today that we didn't have to face. That's uh, a good point. You know, different things. And so where Carla and I struggled, didn't really struggle. I mean, she just convinced me that we want to help our children yeah. now. Let's watch them enjoy this. I mean, we're, we've been blessed. We can do that. Let's do it. Absolutely. We want to hold it from them. Uh, you both have mentioned this oh, just in the office in passing. You both have had those opportunities to step in and help your kids we have. as needed. I know they appreciate it and you appreciate having the ability to do it. Yes. We do. And, and But it also makes it easier to do it. When you have children that are of good character and they're being productive and they're doing their things, they're making the world a better place, that makes that a lot easier to do. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. That's a good point, George. I think this next stage is kind of the, the main clientele that we work with going into that third phase of retirement and managing it. But this is that second stage. So you've established your career. You're really, truly into beginning to prepare for what that retirement phase looks like. You're taking vacations. You're spending time with family. What's the hardest one here, in your opinion? Is it complacency? Is it all of a sudden backtracking on everything you've worked for? Because I see some people starting to get back into the, oh, well, we'll take out a mortgage for that second home, or we'll live above our means because now we're making more money. Like, well, what is it in the second stage that you guys see? David's already said the word. It's discipline. You've got to have some discipline. And it's it goes back to that planning thing. Mm-hmm. But whatever it is you decide to do, you must have discipline to stick to it. And so when it comes to investing, Human emotion is not cut out for this. Yes. You know, we're, we're not. And so you, it's hard to maintain discipline unless you really believe. You got to believe. And so as we approach people in the markets to invest money in the markets, they got to understand that we believe in capitalism around the globe. If you don't believe in capitalism around the globe, do not put your money in the markets. That's what it's built on. And so I think you have to have believe, you have to have discipline to a system. So true. And what you see is when the market's up 19%, Tyler, you get more of those phone calls. Hey, man, I'm going to go get a second mortgage. Hey, we found this great house on a lake. I'm going to go do it. So often we get pulled in on that after they've done it. Sometimes I mm-hmm. wish they'd ask us, hey, should I do it? I, I, I remember a client asked me, Dave, I think I'm going to buy this cabin in Angel Fire. I go, let me just say this to you. Rent out the most expensive cabin and you'll be quantum leaps ahead of what you'd be if you bought an, an old rickety little cabin in cost mm. and you'll have a lot more fun and because an absentee owner is an owner that's going to lose a heck of a lot of money and have troubles and they get bored with it yeah over time yeah and then you have the other side of that the markets do what, what they do they mm-hmm. go down mm-hmm. when they go down oh man i gotta pull money out and put it on the sideline when they don't realize, especially when you're talking about the phases of, of, of our investment lives, when you call it preservation, to me, preservation is, is when you're making enough money to outpace inflation. Yep. And, yep. and and you can't do that without taking risk. Mm-hmm. There are people that have that bury it in the ground mentality and or I just want it my checking account. I just feel so much better. You feel better, but 10 years later, you, you, you've destroyed a lot of wealth and a lot of household value. For not only you and your and, and your wife, but you're for the generations if you're doing well. You know, I, I thought about that today driving to work. I think I was trying to think about all these old adages 
And there's a difference between an adage about investing and an adage about trading or speculating, because one of them that we'd heard for years was you can never go broke taking a profit. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, you can. You sure can. You take a bunch of little profits and have inflation yeah. just steal all your money. You can't right. go broke. So it's interesting to watch some of this happen yeah. and, and try to make it happen to someone now who's in the second stage or third stage of life. It does change the game a little bit. I think the common thread, Tyler, really across every stage mm-hmm. is what we say here every day in our, in our firm, discipline trumps conviction. Yep. If you have that over every phase of your life there, you will pass very wealthy. If you work hard, you'll pass very wealthy, and you will leave a legacy to the generations that follow you. Well, if we just look back over the past three to, I mean, we could even say five years to include some of the, in that five-year period, some of those early years where you had just basically up markets. Right. And then we ran into COVID, inflation, bear market. When you're looking at that market reality, in my opinion, I think these last two phases or stages, I, we've dealt with more than the early stage investor. Because all I have to say to the early stage investor is this is the greatest time in the world for you to be investing. Right. You should be putting as much into this type of market as you can. The conversation turns to those established in that preservation or those that are already in retirement. And, and w- listen, we get it. It's an uneasy time when that market's doing that. I think in the second stage, when you have more discretionary income, generally, because now your kids, maybe they're out of the house, is what we're still working, but the kids are gone. You have more discretionary. Yeah, you're in that period. Sure. And now you're hearing more and more from your friends talking about investing and what they've done that's worked. Yeah. And you're only going to hear about the good things. You'll never hear about the bad. And so I think a lot of times at that stage in life, for some investors, what are some of the roadblocks? I think one of them is following fads, fashions, listening to unsuitable advice. That's where I think a lot of people in that second stage of life can get thrown a curve. And not only that, wanting to violate the discipline of diversification, that when, those, those conversations always boil down to, hey man, if you buy this one thing, you, mm-hmm. and I've made a killing in this. I kind of liken those conversations, George, to the, the conversation you have with people that go, you know, I, I just got back from Vegas and I go, well, how did you do? And they go, you know, I broke even. <laughs> And, I, and I'm always like, that is the biggest crock of BS. I can walk down. I, if you're in Vegas, you just go out to the sidewalk and look either way, and you go, billions of dollars worth of buildings. Boy, all these people broke even yeah. when they came here. Yeah. My dad told me there's two kinds of people come back from Vegas, losers and liars. <laughs> yes, yes. Along those lines with the roadblocks, one way I view it is when you're in that first stage, that accumulation savings phase, Everybody's on the same highway, if you will. We're all, tr- everybody's kind of going the same way. They're trying to build wealth. I think when you get to the second stage, though, you have a massive discrepancy of people. What you both have said is it's important not to try to compare yourselves to somebody on a different highway. However, they got there, you know, whatever means it took for them to get there doesn't mean that you have to then take that same risk or take on that same approach kind of that get rich quick scheme. I think I see that, you know, I think we think as we mature, we stop comparing and maybe we do stop comparing on, on petty little things. I would think we all still keep comparing ourselves to our neighbors or we hear about how somebody made all their wealth while I've only done this. And, but again, what wealth is a relative term based on what your goals are. And so anyway, I, I just thought you both were talking about that. I think that's a, something that hit me is everybody's kind of at the same point when they're in that first stage. I think I've seen over the years that Investors are becoming more educated. Yeah, very much. They're, they're, they're reading more. They're paying more attention. 
I think they're smarter when it comes to investing. There's a lot more information out there available to them. You get information overload. The problem I've had a lot of times is making sure clients and friends know that information does not equal knowledge. It's information. And it's how one applies that information. Mm -hmm. And that's where a good investment officer that can make some sense out of all this we read and hear and get bombarded with many times. That's a way I believe that one can uh, not only exist and flourish in these times, but also take advantage of them. Yeah. Without that, you get to where you're more of a herd mentality. We see it all the time. Past few years, we've seen more than one opportunity to take advantage of soft markets. The old Mike Tyson quote, you know, everybody right. has a strategy to get punched in the mouth. Yeah. No doubt about it. The markets got punched in the mouth, but that gave us an opportunity to take advantage of a few things. Right. And all the information coming. So in. what you're saying to Tyler, I will tell you what George said at the beginning was so true. If you get with a good investment advisor, he or she can really, through a good rock solid plan, create that financial roadmap for you for the rest of your life which will allow them to have an asset allocation for you that fits you, that fits the true you, not the you that here's what your friends are doing, not the you that here's what everyone else is doing, that fits you and your risk tolerances, your hopes and dreams, your legacy aspirations, everything you want for your family. And then it helps keep you disciplined regardless what the markets are doing. And it also keeps you encouraged when you see, when you look at something that has a very long lifespan, that moments when turbulence comes in the market, it really doesn't affect your plan as much as you think it does. And we've talked about this on previous podcasts, really when we've looked looked back over the years or in a year, maybe we're doing a squared away and it's not a fun squared away because the market's been down, which it has been to your point, George, in the past few years. But even me personally, and I know you guys will be the same, I have to sit down sometimes and remind myself, okay, did anything change with my plan? Has any of my goals changed? Then I should not do a thing. I shouldn't touch anything or try to change anything. I can't get greedy. And we talked about it earlier. We're in this business. We have information flying at us all the time. And there's times we have to remind ourselves, even though we're in the business, that we're going to stick to our process. We are by no means uh, shielded from any of that and those feelings. Well, and I think George puts it really well a lot, too, of just being true to what we don't know. Right. And we're honest with our clients, too. We don't know day to day what's going to happen. So many variables in the world, so many crazy things can happen. So many great things can happen. We don't know. That's the reason why Mm -hmm. if if you have an advisor pulling you in and out of the market, I would seriously sit down and try to figure out why. Why? Yeah. Because they don't know either. That's right. They don't know. We we just hit on the topic of planning. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I really like about planning is the accountability that comes with it. If you and your spouse sit down with a planner and you build out this plan of how you're going to achieve the financial objectives you want to achieve over your lifetime, once you set that down there and you read it, you both agree to it, that's the business plan we're going to work on. It makes you less eager to deviate from that plan. You've got this thing on paper. You've committed to it on paper. And I think that's where a lot of people, what is it? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Yeah, if you don't right. know where you're going, how are you going to be able to get there? So if you put it on paper, I think it can help a lot. In the beginning, we didn't do that. The last 15 years, planning has been a big thing, but it's got to be more than a sit down one time and plan. Right. Uh, I like the way that we see it now yeah. where we continue to use that plan. Oh, for yes. sure. And most of the time, kind of what we referenced earlier, we're beginning to have that planning conversation, or I think it becomes the most important in that phase two 
which leads us into phase three. If we get that plan down, then when you go into that phase three, that third stage of your investor life cycle, which is call it whatever you want, retirement, enjoyment. I like enjoyment because I, I don't, I hate when people think that advisors are here just to control when they can spend their money. It's you've built up and saved all this money. Let's go and you should go enjoy it. Some people also view it as the gifting phase. Now you're starting to begin to think about how you're going to leave your legacy. What does that look like? So as we go into that third phase, same, same questions we've dealt with on the first two roadblocks. What's the hardest part? What's the most rewarding part when you're dealing with clients in this third stage or phase? Another way to look at the third stage is that's when you stop earning an income and all you're relying on now is your retirement income, your right. social security. And so whenever you do that, and so you're relying on your portfolio to provide you part of your income, you, you see your portfolio fall because of the market falling, that can oh, cause some angst. Absolutely. During those times in retirement, it's going to be difficult to stay disciplined to a strategy. We have to make sure there's a discipline that they're comfortable with. I used to tell people that I'm really comfortable with stocks, that I'll probably have 80% stocks until I die. Well, now I'm not sure I will, you know. Past few years have changed yeah, that a little bit. <laughs> I may want to I may want to soften that stance a little bit. But so I think as we get older, we move along, we start thinking a little bit more about that. So I've I've seen that okay. change. Okay. I think the most rewarding part is going through a time like we've gone through and watching a client in that phase completely and totally relaxed because they trust the plan. They mm-hmm. they've seen it, they've seen it work, they've seen their their discipline. And they trust it. With that comes a tremendous amount of responsibility and weight that's on our shoulders, which that's what we're in this for. Right. And it is kind of, you're, you're right, George. There's a tendency, I think, to people all of a sudden, okay, the book says I got to get a lot more conservative now that I've retired. And certainly with interest rates coming up, you, you can do that. If you, a few years ago, it was hard to that's do, right? Because right? right. there was no return to really be made in fixed exactly. income. That's why we've gone to a lot more alternatives for our clients. But I think there has to be some clear thought, though. How much am I going to just need for us and how much do I want to If I have a bucket that I'm wanting to leave as a legacy, right? It, that should be very, very aggressive because that really doesn't have a lifespan. It certainly doesn't right. have my lifespan on it. It has a much longer lifespan, the span of my children, my grandchildren. It's just being thoughtful of which buckets need to get more conservative that I'm going to live off of for sure. What bucket can still stay moderately the way it used to be invested with me? And what bucket can I be kind of aggressive with because it's going to be taken care of? Great right. strategy. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's, well, that's a great way to think about it. Yeah. And I think that's what we have to get to is that's a word picture that one can easily understand. And I think when it comes to investing, it can get so complex. We have to simplify it like that. Oh, yeah. You know, we can't apply one asset allocation all the time to our whole bucket of money. Think about the way David said, and it makes it easier to be Oh yeah, more more aggressive for those assets need to be more aggressive. Well, and to your point, George, there may be that bucket that's more. What's the lifestyle you and Carla want to have yep. in that phase? That's going to have a different allocation than what bucket do I want to be able to leave to? That's right. Your church or your kids or right. charity, like those are different different things. Different things, yeah. One thing I will say too, to go back on your writing it down, you know, the whole write down the vision. I would encourage people to sit down with their spouses, and if they're not married, just to sit down at the beginning of every year. My wife and I, Kim and I sit down, and we go, what are we hoping and believing for this year financially for ourselves, for our children, for our grandchildren, all those things. It is so much fun to go back and read the ones from 10 years ago. We were oh, here at the ones from 10 years ago. And go, man, we just, we thought we were thinking big, but, but you know, you just, you don't yeah. know what you don't know back then. Or, or there are places you go, wow, we thought way too big here, but it's a place for you to dream, but it's also a place that'll birth 
I think some places that will allow you to put some discipline around financial discipline around yeah. some goals you want to happen, not only for yourselves, but for others. And you mentioned it for your charities, et cetera. Right. Whatever it may All be. Those, whatever it may be. But it gets you on the same page. First and foremost, it gets you and your spouse on the same yeah. page, which is so important. I mean, there's so many reasons to stress out of marriage. As I've told anybody, the absolute best marriages in this world are difficult. And so anything you can do to be on the same page, I think is helpful. Absolutely. So as we think about that, having those conversations with your spouse, I want to go a step further. Why is it so important? Because this is something we've talked about. Why is it so important to begin having that conversation with the generations that make up your family? And I'm talking your kids, if you have grandkids, why is this wealth conversation something, one, why is it avoided? But two, why do you guys feel like it's so important to begin to have and articulate? I'll just jump in real quick. We're starting to have that more with our children, George. I know you, you're going you're gonna to have way more wisdom on this than me. What I've seen clients do, though, one of two things. They just don't want their kids to know uh, yeah, for I whatever reason. That. And I don't get that, All quite right. frankly. I think some of it might be they're afraid their kids will, will let up take their foot off the gas. I, so I understand yep. that a little bit. Yep. I got this mom and dad, mom and dad has this over here. So why am I pushing so hard over here? And most families don't have a problem when mom and dad die with their children. It's usually someone they've married <laughs> that, that, that causes some problems because that is the person that has the most influence over that, that child's life. Yep. And so I think there's some of that too. And they go, well, if I start talking with my kids, do I got to pull in my, my son-in-law if I don't want him in here? Or do I gotta pull in my, my, my daughter-in-law? whatever that is, but I'm leaning more just in my life, I don't mean you, George, to just being the, the more transparent you are. I mean, you don't have to use exact numbers. Yeah, no. You, but you're more transparent of just the planning you've done with them and why and how you got to that stage. I think it's total key to having the family be able to stay together when both you and your spouse are gone. How much George, time I'll you let have. George get comfortable here. <laughs> How much time you got? As you're I collecting mean, your thoughts on this, I think, David, what you're saying is it may not have to be numbers, but what's the vision for the wealth? Yes. And wealth is relative. Again, it could be a million. It could be 10 million. What's, oh. what's the vision of the person that created that? Because that's a lot easier to honor than saying, hey, Noah, you can't spend your money that way. But what's the vision for the wealth? So, George, I know this is something we've talked about. So the, uh, the platform is yours, sir. Well, I think about a couple things. First of all, about the money itself. How many of us have ever encouraged our children to drive a car without driver's education? Any of us? Right. We make our kids have driver's education, and then we also get in the passenger seat with yep. Makes. white knuckles <laughs> as they're practicing their driving, and yet we want them to inherit money from us with no instructions. So it doesn't make any sense to me. We've got to make sure we're talking like we would on a driver's education. It needs to be investor's education is my first thought. We just We've got to find a way to educate them. There's a group out of California, the Institute for Preparing Heirs, that uh, I got involved with over 10 years ago. And they did this long study, 3,250 families of multi-generational, multi-million dollar transfers of wealth. And they said, by their work, 70% of those transfers of wealth failed. Either the receiving heirs squandered the money or they got mad at each other the way mom and dad did it, and they thought, and so their their relationships were damaged. Either one of those would make you roll over, and you just wouldn't want to have either of those things happen. What their research showed was the more we talk, the more we open the book, then there's going to be less for our children to squabble about. If I leave one child more than the other, and but I make sure that they know why I'm doing that, 
and this is a decision that mom and I have made, right. and here's a reasoning for it. So don't blame her and don't blame him. That's just what we want. Yeah. And it's going to be, they can blame me all they want, but I think that we can also have time to explain that. So the transparency David talked about, the open book, I believe it. We've shown our kids our e-money plan. Mm-hmm. They see it. Yeah. But I think you have to have that. You know, so the, the transparency is a big, big deal. Yep. Thirdly, if they don't hear it from us, where are they getting it? You know, their friends or the internet? Come on. We have to make sure that they're getting sound advice, not just advice. Well, George, David, thank you guys so much for sitting down here. This, we could have spent probably another 30 minutes in kind of different little areas. We will revisit this again at some point. But thank you both for sitting down with me and uh, have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, David. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation, don't forget to review and subscribe to your preferred podcast platform. Have a great week. All opinions expressed by the host and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Full Sail Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Full Sail may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.